Hey, it's Sean. Welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast, where we hope to inspire you to your purposeful journeys and pursuits by interviewing people that are very passionate about their life, the things that they do. And so today's guest is just that. He's an expert in sales that has had over three decades in sales and marketing as a job and wrote the book, Bar Tips, Everything I Needed to Know in Sales I Learned Behind the Bar. And what I really love about our conversation is just how authentic Neil is in sharing his story and struggling to find out what his purpose was, but realizing he had an interpersonal intelligence that was his strength. And that led him into really becoming successful in, in sales and, and marketing and how he developed his philosophy of around sales, right? Which is essentially you're in hospitality. <laughs> you're always trying to create experience. You always are trying to build relationships. Um, you always are need to be organized in order to make sure that you're ready for opportunity when it presents itself. Also, on top of that, he has a program called Positive Activity, which is developing the mindset to be consistent, to show up, being your best in a problem-solving, growth-focused mindset, which I, as a coach, love mindset. So it was fantastic that we were able to talk about that a bit. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to love this conversation as much as I did with Neil Rogers. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast, where we hope to inspire you into your passions by interviewing people about their passions. Our guest today has over three decades in career, or a three-decade career in sales and marketing, working in numerous different industries. He's the owner of Rogers Marketing and creator with his wife of Positive Activity Process, which helps increase people's quality of life through creativity, optimism, and positivity. His recent book, Bar Tips, Everything I Needed to Know in Sales, I Learned Behind the Bar, shares what he learned as a bartender that helped him lead a purposeful and successful life and career. I am really honored to introduce our guest today, Neil Rogers. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Shane. How are you? Doing great. First off, could you share, since you wrote the book, Bar Tips, Everything I Needed to Know in Sales, Learned Behind the Bar, how did you develop your passion for sales? As it says, it started behind the bar. It, <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed So when I was floundering through school, trying to figure out what I was going to do, I took a couple of swings and misses at school and then started working in the hospitality business. I had been working in the hospitality business, kept going. And then I wound up as a bar back, and, which is the, the uh, slavery of, of bartending, the guys that do all the work and grab the ice and all that. And then decided I want to be a bartender because that looked cool, right? That was <laughs> the whole criteria for it at the time, at 19 years old. And set my sights. I got a bar job. I put down my first drink in somebody in front of somebody. And I loved the immediate feedback of giving them what they were looking for and serving them. So that's how I got onto the whole making solution providing, understanding their needs and getting them what they want, making suggestions. Maybe you should try this, simple things. 
right? And but when I took it, when I failed out of school for the second time, I I knew I still need. People would say with your interpersonal skills, you'd probably be good in sales. So now I still have to. I still have to go get a, you know, a degree. So I but I went back differently. I I attacked it differently. I now had a passion, had a had a had a direction, a vision, if you will, and. And I went back and I became a very successful student. And I did it by accidentally figuring out doing some sales uh, techniques, which was I showed up, I actively listened, I took notes, paying attention. I, I took advantage of any of the extra help they offered. If they asked for an answer during class, I would chime in, I would participate. And so it would be my guess if I was on the cusp of getting an A or a B minus, I get the A. Or B plus, I should say. So yeah, so yeah, so that's how it counted to stop. And then I started selling after, after right after I got married, I stopped stopped working the bar, and then I was just full time sales. Right and, on. Uh, yeah. So I love that you, when you're explaining that, you call out your interpersonal skills, and I know you've talked about the different types of intelligence that people have mm-hmm. or can have, and, and could you maybe go through? Did you? read that book and then it clicked for you or was it no, something you stumbled on? It's almost everything in this gig is retrospect, right? Okay. <laughs> it just all happened and then it worked out that, oh yeah, that explains that, right? No, this guy, actually he wrote the forward in the book, introduced me to the book, The Frames of Mind. It's a big, long book. I, I'm not even going to claim I, I read it. I read <laughs> the chapters I needed to read about the different types of intelligence. And it's just one of the things, one of those things I wish I knew back then because I wouldn't have had such a bad feeling about myself that mm-hmm. my academics, I always joke that my, my, my class rank and my combined SAT scores have got one thing in common. They were both in the triple digits. <laughs> so my academic prowess wasn't there. It wasn't that I failed out. It wasn't that I was unintelligent. I just, it just wasn't my, my the book learning just wasn't my forte. And, but I did do well in certain, th- in certain things that were logical and quant and built upon each, on each other, quantitative methods, math, pro- math and whatnot. Because I was pretty good in accounting. I was actually, my, when I did get back to school, they asked me, do you want to be a tutor? Me? Sure. <laughs> why not? I'll try. So yeah. Yeah. The, I got derailed there. What was that? What was your question? Oh, it's just about discovering the the different types of intelligence. Okay. So yeah. So what I learned was that now in retrospect, that interpersonal skills, there is interpersonal intelligence. Mm -hmm. There is intrapersonal intelligence. So self-awareness. And so I had that. I have a little musical intelligence. So it's, and then I do have academic intelligence. It's just, it's more, most of what I learned was street smarts, was doing it, learn by doing. So, right on. Do you, do you think that discovering, looking back, you can identify it as that that social interpersonal intelligence, but discovering that oh, I'm really good at this. Did that, how did that shape how you felt about emotionally about learning it in school? Because it, from your story, it sounds like you tried school and it wasn't your thing. It wasn't your thing, and then. You found your thing. Yeah. Right. And then you're like, oh, I get it now. And everything seemed to align behind it. How did that, is that correct? Or um... that's spot on. Yeah. When I went back to school for the final time, I just, you know, I didn't want to fail. 
I had a reason for being. I knew where I was going. Previous to that, it was just it was just giving it a shot. All right, I guess this is what. I, so when I graduated high school, I was seventeen years old, and I was the seventh of eight of an Irish Catholic <laughs> family. So nobody's paying attention, right? No. So it's not like it. It's not like it is today, where we've got our kids' lives planned from DNA. Right up until I don't even know when, whenever we let them go. I think we're always way more involved than our parents. Well, my parents were. Mm-hmm. No axe to ground with my parents. I love my parents, but but yeah. So it's uh, that's how it evolved. Um. So I guess throughout that whole experience, how did you, you mention that one of the programs you run is the positive activity? Did I get that right? How does that come into play with your story coming up? Have you always were you always positive and optimistic and creative, or was there a time where you struggled with that? Well, there's a time that? when I struggled with just about everything about going that get in line, right? Who we're all had, but until I got to the to the schooling that I finally figured out what the algorithm is, the par <laughs> today's parlance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should show up. Whoa, what is who'd have thunk that? And that you should listen and you should actively participate. So that's really where where the rubber met the road, as it were. And I just built upon that. And that's the same stuff I did when I went out on the road. I showed up more than anybody else. I was more organized. I was trying to be nicer, more accommodating, ask mm-hmm. better questions, listen better. Two ears, one mouth. Listen, use them <laughs> in that proportion. That's how we mm-hmm. were built. So yeah, so that's and so we did. I did that, and all the businesses that I've been successful, and I've had a couple. I've had a swing and a miss, but when I look back on that, it's because I got away from these principles that you see in the book. Mm-hmm. Right, awesome. And one of your previous interviews, I noticed you mentioned that the way that you, the philosophy you've developed about sales, is really that you're in the hospitality industry. I know it came from a talk that you. I think it was a talk. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. That was a realization, right? There was a yeah. uh, the there was a gentleman who gave the keynote speech at a chamber event when my daughter was being honored, and he was the guy who brought Five Guys Burgers here to New Hampshire. Oh, right that's on. where he, he his pregame speech to all of his employees when they opened up the shop was, "We're not in the burger business. We're not in the fry business. We're not in the soda business. We're not in the shake business. We're in the hospitality business." And I looked at my wife, who's who I met, point of context, as when I was a bartender and she was a food waitress. I looked at her and said, I've never left the hospitality business. I've been <laughs> bartending on the road for years. Mm-hmm. Right? And and so all those things building upon building upon that. And then I did things innately because of maybe it was because of that experience. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But back to the positive thing, I did the, I, I would, when I first went out on the road in the food business, I would tape little notes to myself on the dashboard, stay out on the road. We're just getting started. Be positive, make more calls. Right. And I don't know why I did it. I just did it. It wasn't yeah. like I didn't read any book on it, but in retrospect, there's lots of books on it and mine, mine happens to be one of them, but I pra- <laughs> it's practical application and positive activity is just where you get your mindset right first, mm-hmm. right? So you want to be in a place of positivity. So then you can, then you're in a, then that takes you into a space of open-minded, divergent thinking, solution providing creativity. You see, you don't see problems anymore. You only see solutions. 
and you're not, you're not sitting there all lathered up because somebody did something wrong. You just you you you've got your mind, you're ready to go. And then what, whatever your productive productivity steps are after that depends on what you're trying to accomplish. In in the book, we outline our business development steps. We thought that would be germane to a lot of people that would write that would read the book. But I also use those steps in my music, mm. right? And I, get, I like to give anything ninety days of of, of a mm. of a pro and just say, okay, after ninety days, where's your piano playing going to be? Where's your singing going to be? If you do these five things every five days a week, it's going to be better. Mm -hmm. It's going to be ex exponentially better. My Carnegie Hall, probably not, <laughs> but for my own personal gratis gratification, yeah. But if you're going to go to business development and you're going to you're going to go out and start start a business, start a sales territory, whatever that may be, do you know who can buy what you sell? Do you have a benefit statement? What what are they going to get from working with you? Can you articulate that on one sheet of paper? Now that you've determined who can buy what you sell, who the heck are they? Let's get some lists together. Who do you know? The group you know, the group you meet, the group you buy. Group you, group is your network, your your immediate network. And then they should know what you're doing because they can be what? A referral source. And we always want referrals. Much better to uh, tee those up than to, than the group you buy, which is the last group you want. Some <laughs> listserv or whatever. And then those and those that you meet, what type of networking opportunities are you going on? Are you ready at, at a moment's notice to give your, your elevated pitch, your 30-second commercial, whatever that may be, in order to get some sort of feeling as to whether or not you're hitting the you're hitting the you're hitting the chord? And then we propose in positive activity that you have campaigns set up for follow-up on each of those groups. Mm -hmm. Right? So you, as an example, if you meet somebody at a chamber event or a cocktail party or Christmas party coming up, right? And you tell them what you do. I'm a certified health high performance coach. What does that mean? It means this. That's interesting. Great. What are you going to do? You think he or she is sitting there waiting for, waiting by the phone for you to call? Nope. So what's your process to get them in queue? How are you going to systematically market to them? Because we believe in the seven touch theory that conventional wisdom says in order to get somebody's attention, you have to hit them at least seven significantly times, seven times of significance. Mm -hmm. So something different. Don't sit there and leave them seven voicemails. Not going to work. Don't sit there and it's, I did my email marketing. I guess I'm good now. No. no. <laughs> you need to send them something. You need to get in get in because now it's difficult to get to meet them it's like how are you going to get that first meeting and that's an art form these days we used to do it by walking in the door can't do that anymore right you know, some of the businesses that were in you could which there was a lot of wholesale to retail wholesale to restaurants wholesale to sporting goods stores and shoe stores but now our business for the last 27 years we used to be able to walk into a lobby can't do that anymore mm -hmm. no can't leave something behind in the lobby no <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. What's in this thing? Yeah. So that's what, when we say, if you go through that over 90 days, you won't recognize where you've been. I'm like, holy Toledo, I've got momentum. There's a multiplier effect that goes on with that. If you do this every day, if you get in your mind, if you stay creative, if you mm -hmm. look at things differently. Okay. So that did, that approach didn't work. What else could work? Is somebody I really want to meet. I really believe they can buy what I sell. I believe I can help them sincerely right 
How, so how do, how do we how do, how do we get that first meeting? And then how do you con conduct the first meeting? It's all part of positive activity. It's the last step. How are you gonna how are you going to set up the 15 minute coffee call where you get it all done? Mm. It's a great thing. I'm not big on sales techniques, but one that I really think was good. I've seen it in two done two ways. One is Sandler Sales, there's something called the upfront contract. So that's where you sit down at that coffee meeting. And we propose, we prescribe that you have your one sheeter, right? That describes your offering and you use those as talking points to get through the meeting, but it's more about them, mm -hmm. right? We want to hear from them. So it's about, okay, so how much time do we have again here, Shane, today? Well, oh, 15 minutes, great. What I'd like to do, I'd like to tell you a little bit about me. I want to hear a lot about you and what the challenges you have. And then... I guess we can determine at that point what the next step might be if there is one. You're not putting it on them. You're not trying to close them right out of the gate. They don't feel threatened. I can tell a closing technique, out of, a quick one, out of the gate. It's all bad. Really? I'm too old for this. Please don't <laughs> try to close me on day one. <laughs> Fair enough. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's where the positive activity thing comes in. And so activity begets activity. Mm -hmm. So you just keep going and doing this stuff every day and following up and doing the process. And like I said, there'll be a multiplier effect. You go, whoa, I got 10 appointments. I got four sales. I've got whatever it is. My piano, I, I, play, I feel better playing the piano. I feel better singing. <laughs> feel better at racquetball. If that's even a sport anymore, pickleball, let's say pickleball. But <laughs> I've got something every day in a half hour or so to get better at that sport. Yeah. I love the idea and consistency and a lot of my clients, that's what I work on with a lot of the people I um, coach because half of it is, I believe, just showing up. I think naturally people get bored doing the same thing over and over. You're just naturally going to be like, how do I do this a little bit differently? If I'm not doing it at the result that I want, I need to switch it up. And I found that to be hugely effective. So I really do love that call out. Um and that the activity gets activity. I'm a consympathetic learning also, meaning that what I loved about coding is you do it, it works, it doesn't. Computers are very brutal and, and truthful in that way. Right. And so you can always know if you're on the right track or not, where it's maybe not so in other industries. I'm curious if you were to... <clears throat> give a, like, a couple of pieces of advice to a beginner who's just maybe starting in a sales type position. I know we've talked about a lot of things already, but if you could sum it up into maybe two or three things to really focus in on to start on the right foot in a sales position, do you have any bits of advice that would come up to mind right away? Oh, no question. Be organized. Be organized. Okay. What does that mean? You can never be over-organized. So I'll give you an example. So when I was in the, so I, my first job, uh, my first successful job, I should say, where I used the process was I was selling food for a distributor back in, to restaurants. So I was back mm -hmm. in my gig, right? And that day ended at 2.30, right? Because you could not, you couldn't, you, if you couldn't, if you couldn't get the orders in by 2.30, you couldn't ship them the next day. When I had, I had accepted a job to go from 
We just started making money, doing pretty well selling for these guys. Took a territory from, I think it was like, I want to say it was 150,000 to a million five in 18 months, just from mm. doing the stuff wow. and showing up and all that. And, but I was asked right after we got married by a friend of mine, if I'd like to go work with them as a manufacturer's rep in the sporting goods business. And I knew they were very successful. So I said, sure. <laughs> so I went, now I'm making nothing. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm going back. So it was real entrepreneurial venture. I think I think they offered me a small draw or something, but it, it, I had to pay it back. So if I could live without it, and my wife was working at the time, so that worked out. But at two thirty, when the day was done, I'd go home. I'd break out maps because now I'm in, now instead of just working around Boston, I'm working all of New England or a significant portion of New England, right? So I got to get on the road. I got to plan my days. So I took blank maps and I plotted all the customers because right? mm -hmm. I got all the, I got all the information from the, from my, my, the guys that I was working with, from the lines that we represented. And I just put them all with phone numbers and all that. And then I lay, I got all my samples. I organized all my samples. So now I'm still making money with someone else. I'm not doing anything wrong because mm -hmm. the day is done. I told them exactly what I was doing. There's no problem. They just want to make sure I was maintaining the, the customers in my two-week period. And and so I was ready to go day one to sit there and make phone calls or maybe just get in my car and go. So whatever I couldn't get appointments on, I would just fill them with stopping in, dropping up. Now I've started my process. I'm dropping in. I'm being nice. I'm not being intrusive. I'm with this. I'm with, I represent these brands. Yada yada yada. When, when when's a good time? So you're just getting a rapport started, a relationship started. But I was ready to go day one. Now, if you go work for a company, so I was working for my. I mean, pretty much I've always worked for pretty much myself the whole time, mm -hmm. and I didn't. I, there was no safety net, right? There's no six months <laughs> of four grand a month and car and expenses and all that. It was like it was me. So I had to get going as fast as I could. And I did. So we started out. I think the territory was, I think, I want to say it was $250,000 in, in sales, which equated to about $5,000 in commission. Maybe seven. No, obviously, if two fifty would probably, I would say it's eight, 8000 Right. So now I got to pay my expenses out of there, my sample bill, all those things. Four years later, using my little process, positive activity, $10 million. Wow. <laughs> Showing up. Mm-hmm. Being prepared. So organization, I think, is the first thing. The first thing, Honestly, I think they need all the tips that are in the, they should school themselves. They should get all the tips that are in the, how are they, how do they greet people? Mm -hmm. yeah. You can always be better at greeting people. You're in the hospitality business. Smile. Say hello to everybody. When you go for a walk, when you're in a bar, when you're in a restaurant, say hello. How you doing? What's going on? How's your day? <laughs> Let's get it started. Get that vibe going. It's funny. My my oldest brother, one of one of my older brothers, I should say, that I walk with, he's a retired teacher. He's now seventy five. Right. He will go walking around our hometown. With we we split our time between here and another town, and I'll walk with him and I'll say hello to everybody. Good morning. How are you? Mm -hmm. How's the day? Isn't it beautiful? He doesn't say a word. Mm. He's not a sales guy. You have to like people. You have to want to sit at the bar, sit at the counter, 
talk to people. In various, I went to, we went to, where are you stationed, Shay? Grew up in Chicago, now in San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, so you're out in the, you're on the left coast. So yeah. we went to, so this is food. You just, so we went to Nantucket last week. Okay. And so we got, we were taking a boat at one fifteen, sat at the bar at the landing cafe and struck a conversation with the two people next to me and a young couple in their mid thirties or so. And great people. And they look successful. And they just ooze success. They were, and they were outgoing and whatnot. And of course, I can't help but ask, weasel in a, a message about the book. Oh, really? You wrote a book? I said, yeah. We got your Amazon. Boom. Opened up, ordered the book. Nice. So we, we got that going. We saw them again over in the island. My daughter winds up knowing the woman. She mm. was with us. They played, they had some lacrosse affiliation with. He texts me today because he mm -hmm. works in my hometown and he says, got your book today. I want to stay in touch. Let's get it. Can we have lunch? Sure. You got to want to do that stuff. And I want to do that stuff. <laughs> I want to, I just, I'm intrigued by them. They're nice people. I like to be around young people. I'm, I don't want to be a pathetic old guy hanging around with youngins, but, but it's, but yeah. So that's the type of things I think they need to be doing, being out. Even if you don't think it's worthwhile, this meet, this conference never works. So this never, go and, and meet, go to meet people. Mm -hmm. I, that's what I think. I'm old school though. I, I love it. I think it can be really, having grown up with technology and just seeing how aunts and uncles or my parents lacked. You go out to dinner or whatever, just like talking to people around you. It's admirable, I think. It's a lost art, I think. As much as technology can connect people, it's also created a weird barrier in a sense. So um, you're segueing right into one of my speeches. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Tech is no threat to me. Mm -hmm. Right? So, Sure. A lot of good things have happened with tech over the last 50 years. Cell phones that act like mini computers, streaming services for movies, streaming services for music, email marketing, social media marketing. Amazon has changed the landscape of shopping. Mm -hmm. Explain this to me. Why do people sit in coffee shops and want to talk? <laughs> Why was Barbie a phenomenon this year? Mm -hmm. Why did Taylor Swift sell out every major stadium? And oh, by the way, just made it to the cover of Time today. So, Oh, wow. Okay. There's a shoe store in this town, Alex Shoes. He's busy on a Tuesday in February. I know February doesn't mean as much to you, but here in the North is, Northeast. Oh, Tuesday yeah. in a February is freezing and it may be snowy. You'll walk in there. And then finally, did you know that direct mail marketing is up in 2023? So that's a metaphor we use that I use. And I actually, I are indeed it. Do you know what that means? Researched and developed. Ripped off and duplicated. Same-ish. Same. A friend of mine, actually my daughter's friend, he, he we became friendly too, wrote this thing on AI. And he said... The metaphor we use is, have you ever seen the movie Good Will Hunting? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. There's an iconic scene in the movie 
where Sean, Robin Williams' character, mm-hmm. is yet again frustrated with Will, mm-hmm. Matt Damon's character, and they're sitting on a park bench. And in Roger, Robin Williams' best Boston accent, he goes, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You've never been out of Boston. Oh, sure. I could ask you about art, and you give me the skinny on every art book that has ever been written. But you can't tell me what the Sistine Chapel looks like. Mm-hmm. Or it's how it smells. How those beautiful, what those beautiful ceilings look like. So the point of that is, the point of the metaphor is that it's not going to compete with our senses. It just isn't. I don't care what they say. Maybe I'm not doing double blind studies and doing all sorts of, I'm talking about just two guys talking here. And again, using logic that sure, it's going to enhance our lives. There's going to be things that we'll use, but it's no threat to me in terms of doing a complex presentation. It may aid in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll aid maybe help streamline the copy process, right? It's not going to close a complex deal, no. And it's not going to it's not going to have anything like this. And the reason why, when you think back on those two things that we were comparing, why, back to Taylor Swift, why, why, why is she so popular? She provides, right, full experience. And my wife went for the first time, she had never seen her before, and she came back, liked her music, came back converted. <laughs> yeah. But just now, I'm not so sure that would have happened to me, but I would have enjoyed it, I know. But I'm not a big stadium guy. I don't like, I love 300 seat venues. I like intimate settings. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talent out there that you can find in an intimate setting, right? Yeah. But one of the things, the nice nice book for everybody to think about, and if you haven't read this, I consider, I consider, I think you should consider it. It's a book called The Happiness Advantage because you like positivity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Do you know of the book? It was, yeah, I've read it before. It's great. Sean Acor, right? Yes. Well, one um, of the things that Duke. Sean just, yeah. one, Harvard. Harvard, okay. And so one of the things that he discovered in all this and all of his research is that the, the depth and the breadth of our social interactions determine our overall happiness in our longevity. Now, take that for what you will, but it sounds pretty good to me. And <laughs> and he's the one that determined that the pot more positive you sells 37% more. The more positive you is 31% more productive. And if you think about it, if you're in misery, if you're walking around and you're not in that place of creativity because you haven't got your mind right. You're negative and all that. Oh, poor me and nobody ever calls me back and I can't get a deal done or all this. Give me the good leads. Give me the Glenn Gary leads, right? <laughs> seen that movie? No, I have not. Put that on your list to see. Okay. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. One of the one of the greatest sales movies you'll ever see. Okay, and it's with and it's got an iconic scene in there by Alec Baldwin. He's the sales he's the sales manager type from downtown. He's coming okay. in to straighten out the real estate office. <laughs> okay, but, but yeah, and I, yeah, I recommend all of your listeners at least watch the Sean Acor TED Talk on the Happiness Advantage. It's twelve yeah. minutes. He doesn't get it all in, but it's pretty compelling, and it, it will. It's a great audible book to listen to it over and over. 
Excellent. Oh, I love that. And I also believe, I mean, talking about technology very broadly, like it's all in service to people, I think. Like people use it, people build with it, people maintain it. I differentiated myself in my career in tech and being the person that like, what are we like trying to make sure that things were understandable to humans behind the scenes so you can maintain it better, which seems common sense, but sometimes you get some really insane things. So yeah, I love that point. And it's reminded me too of another guest I had, Dr. Ahuvia, who did a book on the things that we love. And just how with Taylor Swift and that experience that you're talking about, how why sales isn't really, or why (laughs) humanity isn't super threatened by technology is because we do everything, I think, or he postulates for love. It's a proxy for love. You go to the Taylor Swift with your daughter and have that experience together. And that's like a core memory that you have for the rest of your life. So it's really just, yeah, it's, that, that's what so, came to mind for me. So that. last but, night we went to, I don't know if you know this artist, his name is Brett Eldridge. I don't, no. He's a country guy. Very good, very talented. Not the twangy, I got my beer, my truck, my girl type country. I, on a different level or sphere or whatever, I don't want to diss the country people. But he's he did his holiday show last night and we went. And my daughter bought it for me. My actually, my daughter and wife bought it for. I think it was for my birthday. And we went down. We was in a new place in Boston, called the MGM Fenway. Mm-hmm. In front of Fenway Park, as you might well imagine. And they, uh, it was a beautiful facility. It was three jackets, fifteen dollars to hang them. They're getting, you, they're getting you every which way you can. I think the tickets were $250 a piece. And, but it was an experience. The three of us went. It was a Tuesday night, not usually going out on a Tuesday night, but it was a good experience. And But here's what I would suggest. I've done it. I won't do it again. Mm-hmm. What I will do is I'll go see Morgan James, who's from, I don't know if you've ever heard of Postmodern Jukebox, but it's yeah. where they take, yeah. So she used to be a postmodern jukebox. Okay. And she's doing her Christmas concert right down the street from our place in Plymouth, Massachusetts, in a 300 person venue, converted church for 50 bucks. I think it's less. <laughs> it's 40. And my buddy actually bought the tickets. So it's, but, but that to me, and then, but uh, that, that to me will be even as, as a similar experience. Or two hundred dollars left. Yeah. By the way, if you want to get a beer, it's seven dollars as opposed to twelve fifty. <laughs> that's yeah, it's important. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah. yeah, my my wife and I just last week went to the small theater and saw an acoustic act from one of our favorite rock artists, this guy by the name of Ty Segal. That seventies classical feel like garage rock, kind of weird too, but yeah, we got, it was probably less than a hundred people that were in the the theater. I got to sit like in the second row and it's just like that feeling of, and I, I love music too. I know you mentioned you play a little bit, but yeah, just being that close and 
they have the theater decked out for Christmas. So there's all sorts of, you go in and it's just tinsel for 10 feet or whatever. And yeah, it's just So it's just always working the experience. So we're doing, instead of going to the show Saturday night, buddy of mine did get the tickets. I said, I can't, I go to the, I go to the three o'clock show for the Mm -hmm. holiday pops. Then what we do, so what we used to do is we used to all go out to dinner afterwards. So you jam in 12 people or 15 people trying to get a table somewhere. And I said, you know what? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do it at our place? I'll have somebody come and serve us. Hmm. We'll order the food. You know, so it's not highfalutin. It's really just we pay somebody to service and clean up afterwards, right? It's And yeah. we order pans of food. It's not like she's not cooked. She just eats <laughs> it up, puts, yeah. puts it out for us when we get back. But we're, but what it did do is it enhanced the experience. So now we get to stand around, walk around, talk to other people. You're not stuck at one side of the table. So there's where the hospitality comes in again. And just always, a buddy of mine's bringing his, bringing his girlfriend that I've met once. And she, I said, so I, I hear she likes old fashions. I said, I got some maker's mark. He goes, she's a George Dickel guy. I said, all right, I'll find some George Dickel. So I bought her a bottle of George Dickel. She's taking it with her though, because I don't drink. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's awesome. I guess to, to bring it full circle then, I'm, so I haven't read your book yet. I definitely want to have, having read a little bit about, or having talked with you today and then doing some research behind the, the thing. But how much did you learn about creating experience as a bartender? Because I imagine like that now you see like they, on Netflix, they have that bartending competition thing. It's like the British Bake Off where it's super flashy or whatever. But that seems a little bit too showy to me. The times where I've really gone to a bar and enjoyed talking to the bartender, they do a really good job with the product, but it's also you're learning about their family and stuff. And it's just, they're telling stories about San Francisco or Chicago or wherever. Did, did you have that type of experience focus back then? Another way to rephrase the question is, how much is hospitality about creating that experience? Because I'm a, that's not a, something I've studied extensively or have a lot of experience with. It's more about, uh, it just, a lot of it is an eight. If you're, you can learn to do it. You have to want to do it. You have to like to do it. Mm-hmm. And that is, so when the, one of the places, the first place I worked at, they had a dartboard. Slow day. Hey, you want to play a game of dart? So get two people there. It's a small, so, slow afternoon. Play. And then if I, if I, by the way, if that's getting busy, hey, listen, could you take over for me? Bill wants to play. We're going to keep going. Yeah, you guys, now they know each other. Now I'm paying it forward, right? Just a simple thing like that, creating a little bit of an experience, introducing somebody. This guy, mm. matter of fact, I was into, I was going to into a radio interview and I stopped into a uh, bar where, restaurant bar, where a buddy of mine worked with us 40 years ago. Not in this one, but he was, so he's still doing it. He's 70, 74. Moves still, still moving pretty good too. <laughs> Angus, oh, his name is Angus Mackay. How about that for a name? <laughs> nice. So he goes, so he, so I sit down and I said, I'm going to an interview up the street. And he says, he introduces me to this guy who wrote a book called Shotgunned. It was a cop around Boston. Mm. And he talked about how he tracked down, the, he tracked down a, a hijacked truck and they come out guns blazing. <laughs> and so he got shot. So that's where I'm at in the book right now. But it's just like he created a little bit of experience. So we chatted for a little bit and then I had a scoot. I had to go, I had to go do my interview, but it was interesting. Hmm. So 
right? Uh, well, you have to want it. You really have to want it. It's, it's not an introvert's game. <laughs> yeah. Your sales support in that, in that regard. Right. Okay. Well, with that said, Neil, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I know that you gave me a bunch of, of things that I'll put in the show notes on where the people or the people can uh, follow up with you. But where would be the best place to buy your book um, or to, to follow up with you if they wanted to learn more about? Well, I'd like to put people programming. point people to the positiveactivity.net site because we've got information about the book on there. And then the direct link to the Amazon or Barnes & Noble spot that you can buy because their search engines can get a little funky. Okay. Right on. We'll have that definitely in the show notes. Yeah, with that, like I said, I have a whole bunch of notes from this, and I'm sure going back through this, I'm going to learn a whole bunch more. I can't wait to, to get that book to really get into the, the process that you talk about. And so with that, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? I know it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. A lot of fun. You're, converted, you. you're a software engineer that converted to hospitality, brother. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome aboard. <laughs> All right. With that, we'll see you guys in the next episode of the Meaningful Revolution Podcast. See you, team.